0: Reading today from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Let us hear the word of the Lord as we ask for his blessing on its reading and its instruction. Amen. Peter writes, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word... which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered finally all of you have unity of mind sympathy brotherly love a tender heart and a humble mind let's pray heavenly father We thank you that you exercise great care over all of the sheep in your sheepfold, the sheepfold of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're your children, and you've provided holy instruction for them, for us, in many areas of common life. Today we ask you to instruct us in some of the important ways that Christian husbands and wives should interact with one another In addition, how all of us should relate to one another. Open up your word to our understanding and its incorporation into our lives, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. The two apostles who wrote the most about Christian marriage in the New Testament were Paul and Peter. Paul, as far as we know, was single, but Peter was married. We know this because on one occasion uh, Peter's mother-in-law was sick and Jesus went there and healed her and she waited on them. Uh, Paul also wrote on one occasion uh, that he and Barnabas, regarding he and Barnabas, he wrote this, Do not uh, we have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord in Cephas. Cephas means Peter. So uh, Paul mentions these other brothers, including Peter, who took their wives along with them in their missionary travels. But yet, Peter's writing about Christian marriage is not more authoritative or expert than Paul's is. They're both equally inspired by the same Holy Spirit and equally important for our understanding on how Christian spouses should interact and relate to one another. Uh, Remember that Peter is writing here to a group of churches, Christians who were living in Asia Minor, which is now present-day Turkey. And he calls them exiles or sojourners or pilgrims, strangers on earth. These people are really citizens of another kingdom, of the heavenly kingdom. They've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So when this happened to them, everything began to change, including the relationship between husbands and wives. We would expect this to happen because of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. When he enters a human life, he begins a great sanctifying work. And so, these people, as are people who, who are called by the Lord, uh, begin to reflect more and more Christ's nature and Christ's values. Well, in the world back then, as well as the world today, we see a lot of uh, unhappiness in marriage, a lot of conflict. We see wives disrespecting their husbands. Uh, doing their own agenda in opposition to their husband's desires. We see uh, women rebelling against their husband's authority, uh, causing their husband's grief by their rebellious, uncooperative spirits. Likewise, we see husbands who can be impatient and considerate of their wives' needs and situations, They don't make special accommodations and help for the special needs of women, who, though they are humans, have somewhat of a different mentality and outlook on things than men do. So there can be some serious problems resulting from husbands' sinful or fleshly behavior. Uh, and They can be harsh, abusive, or inconsiderate and selfish towards their wives. So what we often see today, and they had it the same back then, was husbands and wives fighting and arguing each one concerned about their own needs and interests more than the others. Well, a marriage relationship, in fact, throws two people together in the closest possible relationship who have different interests, different personalities, different needs different family backgrounds, different expectations of the marriage relationship. Marriage, in fact, is the perfect testing ground, the perfect crucible, something that crushes, to work sanctification in two people's lives, to bring two rough stones together rubbing against one another so that the friction rubs off some of the fleshly habits. And Hopefully, they both come out smoother stones than they were before. Uh, you know, one of the Christian, uh, the uh, common Christian wedding vows says this I, John, take you, Susan, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, sickness and in health, to love and cherish as long as we both shall live. Well, couples who take this vow, though they may have stars in their eyes there, the wedding ceremony soon discover that it's not easy to carry out these vows. It takes a lifelong commitment to one's spouse to attain to the norm of scripture and the expectation of God. So how can two people with often have very diverse personalities different ways of interacting with people? How can they find common ground so they can live together in harmony and experience some of the peace and happiness that we hope would be in a Christian marriage? Well, our text today points us in the right direction. Here's the goal of this sermon today. It's to firm up believers' understanding of the submissive role Of Christian wives that they should have to their husbands, and likewise the honor that should be given them by their husbands. All believers, in fact, should be marked by similar virtues. Let me repeat that. The purpose of this sermon is to firm up, to strengthen believers in their understanding of the submissive role of Christian wives to their husbands. And likewise, the honor that husbands should give to their wives. All believers, in fact, should be marked by similar virtues. Well, before we dive into this, let's consider the context that Peter is writing in. In the first two chapters, this is the beginning of chapter 3, first two chapters, Peter stresses the overall mindset and attitude that Christians should have who live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Their conduct is to be holy as the Lord is holy. And uh, they're to be set apart by God to serve Him in this world. They're to be a special people, a holy nation. Their conduct is to be good and righteous and noble so that those who accuse them of wrongdoing will be silenced. These Christians are to conduct their lives in the fear of God, remembering Christ's great sacrifice and the fact that they're redeemed by His precious blood. They're to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God. They're to do everything, do everything for the Lord's sake. It says in chapter 2, verse 13. They're to be mindful of God. It says in chapter 2, verse 18, in their human relationships, mindful of God. They're to live their lives and relationships with others in the sight of God. It says in chapter 2, verse 20. And they were to live their lives following the example of Christ. Well, They were to look for the coming of Christ. That's the blessed hope of the church. Peter says in chapter 1, verse 17, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. The fear of God, respect for God, the honoring of God as creator and sustainer and sender of the Lord Jesus was to be the mark of a Christian. Paul, or rather Peter, in this whole section is exhorting these Christian exiles to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter has been talking to them in this letter about being subject to human institutions such as the emperor of Rome, The various governors that he appoints to uphold law and justice throughout the empire. So the whole idea of submission has been introduced here. And now the practical ways that submission is to be worked out in human society. So it's godly submission to authorities for the sake of Christ. Christ was subject to the authority of the heavenly father. So we see this submission. Uh, Relates not only to living and human society and governments, but uh, slavery was a big part of the culture at that time. So the relationship of slaves to their masters (laughs) and their submission to their masters. So now Peter moves on to another human relationship, that is of marriage, husbands and wives. So he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, likewise wives be subject to your own husbands. So we use the word likewise, it means in the same way, or according to what I've been saying previously, the same train of thought. Wives should be subject to your own husbands. Someone may say, why do wives have to be subject to their husbands? Why can't husbands be subject to their wives? Well, I think there are several reasons for this. First of all, man was created first and then woman was created to be a helper to him, a companion to him. So the husband, the man, had the priority in creation of a certain authority over the woman in their roles as husband and wife. In fact, God spoke to the woman, Eve, in Genesis 3.16 and said, "...your desire shall be contrary to your husband." but he shall rule over you. So that's the way God has ordained that the husband should rule over his wife, as it's stated in Genesis. Now, Paul said in Romans 13, 1, there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So authority in the, in the government, slave-master relationships, and in marriage is... Set up by God. Well. Paul. Discusses this whole issue. In uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And when he begins to talk about. The relationship of husbands and wives. He sets it in this context. In chapter 5 verse 21. Submitting to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. So that's the the overall uh, controlling factor in human marriage and human relationships. So there's a principle of mutual submission in the marriage relationship. It's not an absolute dictator of the husband over the wife. Sometimes the husband may need to submit to her. For example, she says going out on a hot day like the weather we've been having, you better take an extra bottle of water in case your car breaks down, well, he should listen to her advice. Ephesians 5 goes on to say, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. You see, the wife actually has a great privilege here, a great responsibility to submit to her husband. When she does that, she is demonstrating and illustrating the submission of the church to Christ. In the Trinity, for example, there's eternal relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there are different functions of each person. The Father is the sender. He sends the Son and the Spirit. The Son is the one who is incarnated, not the Father, the Son. The Holy Spirit is the one who indwells believers and who glorifies the Son and the Father. All three persons of the one God are equal in power and glory, but they serve different functions or roles, especially as it regards our salvation. The Spirit is not jealous of the Son, Because he stays in the background and brings glory to the son and to the father. No, he's happy that the son is glorified. So, in the marriage relationship, the husband and wife have different functions or roles for the mutual good of the family. So, the first major point that we should see here in this passage is that Christian wives should be submissive to their husbands. The marriage relationship that's being talked about here is the marriage of two Christian exiles. So their mutual relationship is going to be different from those uh, marriages around them. We should expect that the partners in a Christian marriage would relate to one another differently from their non-Christian neighbors. Now, Peter gives us a reason as to why Christian wives should submit to their husbands. He says, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So he's speaking of a situation here where a wife has become a Christian and her husband is not. He does not obey the word. How can she win him to Christ? How can she bring him to the point where he does obey the word, where he does submit to Christ's lordship? She doesn't need to constantly badger him, exhorting him to repent and believe the gospel. That's not the best approach. She can do that once or twice, but then she just needs to demonstrate the reality of her Christian faith by her conduct. Well... Paul addresses this same situation in 1 Corinthians 7, 16, when he says to the wives, For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? For how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? In other words, if you're living with a non-Christian spouse, don't divorce that spouse. You may be the very instrument that God uses to bring him or her to faith. Well, Peter goes on to describe... In more detail, the kind of conduct of wives that he's talking about. He says in verse 2, When they see your respectful and pure conduct, wives should demonstrate great respect for their husbands. Even if their husband's not a Christian, by God's ordination he's been placed as the head of the family. she should respect his role and respect the decisions he makes. Now, <clears throat> Paul gives further advice to Christian wives when, in his letter to Titus, chapter 2, verse 3. He says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to do what? To love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, And submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. So when a Christian wife is not submissive to her husband, it reviles the word of God. That is, it does not speak well of the authority of the word of God in her life. She's lacking in her submission to the word of God. Well, Peter goes on to describe the kind of conduct he has in mind. I'm going to paraphrase what he's going to say next. He says she needs to be dressed right. She needs to be dressed right. Okay. What does it say here? Do not let your adorning, that is, verse 3, do not let your adorning, that is the way you are dressed, be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. So Peter is talking here about the heart, the attitude of the heart. That which cannot be seen, but which becomes manifest in her behavior, her attitude. You know, the whole issue of the heart is crucial in biblical religion. You remember when Samuel the prophet had come to Jesse to choose, to anoint a king. And First Samuel sixteen seven, uh, says this, For the Lord does not see as man sees. Now, which one of these seven sons is going to be king? The Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So the matter of the heart before God is of crucial importance. In biblical religion. For example. Paul writes in Romans 2.29. Who's a true Jew? A true Jew. He says a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the spirit. Not by the letter. His praise is not from man. But from God. So Peter says the heart of the Christian wife. Should be. He says here. With the imperishable beauty. Of. Of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Well, outward beauty will perish for all of us, like the flowers of the field. They last a while, then they dry up and fade away. But inward beauty does not fade away. It's imperishable. It's there by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God. It only gets stronger and firmer and more committed as life goes on, as we are renewed in the Word of God. Well, Paul gives advice, as well as Peter, about how wives should dress. He says in First Timothy 2, 9, Likewise, women should adorn themselves, now here he's talking about outward appearance, in respectable apparel with modesty and self control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with that which is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. That's how women should be adorned with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, says Paul. Well, Christian wives should be submissive submissive to their husbands so that they might win them to the Lord. There's another reason they should be submissive to their husbands. It's because of the modeling and examples of other godly women in Scripture. And he goes in verse 5 and he says, This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. I'm not talking about outward adornment, but inward adornment. By submitting to their own husbands. He goes all the way back to Genesis. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, these women are called holy women. That is, they were set apart by God for God to be in relationship to him and to be separated from the sinfulness of the world. You know, when three messengers from God came to visit Abraham and Sarah that day in Genesis 18, they told them that Sarah would become pregnant. She was around 89 years old, I think. And it says in Genesis 18, 12, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, Am I, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? She says, My Lord is old. Talked about Abraham. She called him Lord. So, she really did call him Lord. Why did she do this? Well, I think because she was trying to show him respect and honor as head of the home. We don't see this or hear this in American culture today. But Peter holds up Sarah as a model for the way in which a wife should submit to her husband. It's not my opinion. It's in the Word of God. Did Peter's own wife call him Lord? Well, we don't know. It's not recorded. But it's possible she did. So, Christian wives are to follow Sarah's example. Peter says, if you follow Sarah's example, you are her children. If you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Well, to do good is pretty obvious, I think. What does this mean, fear anything that's frightening? That's kind of a strange expression. Uh, Alan Stibbs suggests that it may mean being committed to the God-assigned role in our lives and fulfilling that role no matter what criticism we may get from people around us, not being afraid afraid of what people will say or think. But we know what God wants us to do, we do it. It takes courage and boldness to do that. There also may be some meaning here, as is found in Proverbs 3.25, do not be afraid of sudden terror the ruin of the wicked when it comes. In other words, the Christian wife, trusts in God, and all the distresses and dangers and hazards of life. There are many things we could be afraid of, but we can't let fear rule our lives. Mm-hmm. We must press forward in the will of God for our lives. Amen. Well, so we've seen in this first major section of our text The main idea is that Christian wives should be submissive to their husbands. It's clear. You can't deny it. The second major section, in verse 7, here's the main idea. Christian husbands should honor their wives. Well, what is the Christian husband's responsibility? He should live with her in an understanding way. He needs to understand... That though she's a human, she's somewhat of a different creature than a male. She's different physically and emotionally. She's weaker. She can't lift as many weights as he can. And he needs to be aware of her feminine differences and accommodate her as may be needed. Help her. Be considerate of her special needs as a woman. It says he needs to honor her as the weaker vessel. So, he needs to honor his wife. Show her respect, consideration. Maybe ask her opinion on certain matters. Perhaps follow her advice to listen respectfully to her matters of concern. Now, Peter gives two reasons why the husband should honor his wife. First reason, because they, the women... The wives are heirs with you of the grace of life. They are absolutely equal with men and they're standing before Almighty God. They're both recipients of the same grace. Both were in equal need of mercy because of their sins. And both have been immeasurably blessed to be redeemed by Christ's blood shed on the cross. So the woman is in no way inferior. ...to the man and her position and standing and a relationship before God. They're absolutely equal. Both have been given grace that they did not deserve. Both of them are never-ending debtors to Christ for what he did for them. So, they're equal heirs of the grace of life. So the husband must respect his wife for that reason. Secondly, he must honor his wife so that his prayers will not be hindered. So we see two truths here. First of all, the Christian husband should be a praying man. Secondly, well, along those lines, if he doesn't honor and respect his wife, his prayers before God will be hindered, they'll be inhibited. They'll be handicapped. If his relationship with his wife is not right, his relationship with God will not be right either. You see, sin in our human relationships affects our relationship with God. Another example in the scriptures, Matthew 5, 23. Jesus says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift so you need to get things worked out in these human relationships so that god will accept gladly your offering another example in mark 11 when you whenever you stand praying says jesus forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father who's in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So our relationship with other people can affect our relationship with God. So what we've seen here in these seven verses, first of all, that Christian wives should be submissive to their husbands. Secondly, Christian husbands should honor their wives. But there's a third idea here, and that's in verse 8. Verse 8 says this, Finally, all of you, all of you, Husbands, wives, children, single people, everybody, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. In other words, all Christians, all Christians should exemplify similar virtues that husbands and wives are to have to one another among themselves. They're to have unity of mind. Paul says in Romans 12, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty. Don't be arrogant. But associate with the lowly. And don't be wise in your own sight. Don't think you're so smart. Smarter than everybody else. He says we should have sympathy and brotherly love. Paul again in Romans 12.10 Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let brotherly love continue. Earlier in his later, letter, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.22 Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He's talking about some serious love here that we should have for one another. Apostle John says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We should have a tender heart toward one another. Paul says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. And then, lastly, a humble mind. With all humility humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Well, Christian wives have a great calling in life. It's a great calling. It's a great responsibility. It's a privilege from God to be submissive to their husbands. And Christian husbands also have a great responsibility to honor their wives. And all of us have an obligation to be people of sincere love, tender-hearted people of humility, acknowledging the greatness of God and our indebtedness to him so that we don't think of ourselves too highly. But know that it's only God who has made a difference in our lives. What a great life God has laid out for us. So let us enter the roles, or continue in the roles that He's ordained for us with enthusiasm and commitment, and see how He will use us. To glorify his name and be a blessing to others. Let's pray. Holy Father, in your great wisdom, you have forged out mutual responsibilities for Christian wives and husbands. And in fact, for all of us. Help us to grow in all these graces so that your name will be honored through our lives. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great example, who submitted himself fully to your will. Amen. Amen.